Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director. The only podcast on the internet made by a creative director for people wanting to become creative directors, for creative directors who need a little inspiration or who have lost their way. I am here for you. We are here for you. <laughs> and, and, and actually, it's soon to be a book. I'm working on a book right now uh, based on all the great nuggets of wisdom uh, imparted by the guests of the show. So uh, stay tuned for that. I'm hoping to have that done, uh, or I am going to have that done before the end of the year. Hopefully, maybe right around, um, you know, uh, November time frame or something like that, maybe even earlier. I got a good, pretty good jump start on it. So, and speaking of uh, nuggets of wisdom from brilliant creative minds, on the show today, Brad Myers, creative director for 215 McCann out of San Francisco. This guy has done a lot of really interesting things, a lot of interesting work. He started off writing uh, on the back of Pepsi cans. Right. You always wonder who writes all that stuff. Well, he did that. Uh, then he went on to do radio work for 7-Eleven, which I want to talk to him about because um, I haven't talked to anybody that that really has done much radio. I used to love doing radio. So I want to talk to him about that. And then he also had the opportunity to do something really amazing, which was turn some 7-Elevens into Quickie Marts for the Simpsons movie. Remember that? That was so cool. So we'll talk to him a little bit about that. He took Taco Bell to Twitter and brought them into the digital age. And uh, now he's at 215 McCann working on Xbox. So talk about a wide ranging career uh, doing all kinds of incredible things. So without further ado, let's get into it with Brad Myers. Hey, Brad, how are you, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for making the time to uh, join the podcast, and thanks thanks for listening. I understand you've been listening to, listening to some of the episodes, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I discovered you a little bit ago, and I've I've listened to a couple, and it's it's really great. It's fun to hear how people came up and everything. Yeah, hear all the all the crazy stuff that um, other creative directors are, are are doing and going through, and all that kind of stuff. But in doing my research. Um, I was digging around and, and kind of trying to suss out what you're all about, and I and I got to your <laughs> I got to your Cargo Collective website, and I went to the About Brad section, and I just got to tell you that I that I love your that I love your bio, and if it's okay with you, I just want to I just want to read it because I think it's fucking hilarious. Is that all right? Oh, thank you. Yeah, you can read it. You got to do two different voices though. You got to do one. Normal I know. And one I know. Like a robotic voice. Exactly. That's exactly the way I'm going to do it. I may not do it justice, but, but, you know, for everybody listening at home, I mean, this thing is freaking hilarious. I wish I had the, the, the balls to do this, but so it says about Brad, Brad is kind of shy and doesn't really like to talk about himself. So instead he asked a teenage girl to describe Timothy Chalamet and replace key bits with facts about himself. Enjoy. Oh my God. He's so adept at creating 360 degree brand campaigns. I like love everything about him, everything from the way his creative output gently falls over his eyes to the way his rippling leadership and mentorship skills <laughs> listen <laughs> when the sun hits them. I just melt when he uses cutting edge technologies and social platforms to create breakthrough work for his clients, especially with his shirt off. If there were one creative director that I would create advertising with, it would totally be him. Of course, I've never created advertising before but i'm sure he could show me how he is so fire just thinking about him makes me want to purchase the products he features in his ads and engage with in his <laughs> his interactive and social programs and initiatives so bad so there it is i, I love that Thank i you. love that that was good where, where did you, <laughs> that was perfect <laughs> where did you uh where did you get the idea to do that i love that so it actually came it came uh, a couple of years ago when I was needed to make a bio for some pitch that we were doing when I was yeah. at FCB. Yeah. And I hate doing yeah. those. And so I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to write a, a stupid one that they'll reject. And then I did. And at the time, it was actually about Robert Pattinson when it was like Twilight years. So that's the secret is that that's been around for like 10 years. 
and I just keep changing who the celebrity is to make it more current. I love it. Um, yeah. But they rejected That's it, great. and then I was like, oh, this is this would be pretty good <laughs> for a website. That's really great. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and the other thing, and I kind of gave people a little preview of sort of everything that you've done in the intro, but one thing that stuck out to me that I wanted to talk to you about is producing radio spots. You did some uh, – Radio yeah. spot work for 7-Eleven, which I love because I used to do radio, never did it for anybody big like 7-Eleven, but I used to do this radio uh, spot for a, it was actually kind of a 7-Eleven type place in in, uh, in Texas called uh, Good Time Stores. And, and it was just crazy. I, we invented this character called Overreaction Guy. And every week, you know, you had to write a fresh little story and somehow figure out a way to jam in like you know, 99 cent, you know, big gulp type, you know, thing or whatever. Totally. But tell me about tell me about that experience writing, uh, uh, doing radio, because I think radio still to this day, I, I sort of feel like it's kind of underrated and underappreciated as a way to communicate with people. I think it's still pretty viable. But tell me about that experience. No, it is. It's, it's definitely my favorite. It's always been kind of my favorite thing to do, because I think it's the closest thing to sketch comedy maybe that we get to do. Uh, and to your point, it's like, how do you be funny and how do you be interesting, but shoving a bunch of product points in? Cause it's not like you can put a logo in the corner or just flash a super, right. you have to say everything. Um, yeah. but yeah, but Seven Eleven radio, I was, I was like a junior at a Tracy lock and I was bugging the Seven Eleven team all the time to help them out. And they let me get started on some radio. And it was just fun because Seven Eleven just let you do it. Like there was no cohesion to their campaign. It was just, Oh, thank heaven. And whatever it was, was just new every time. So it was all about what weird little skit can we think of this time? And my creative director uh, had turned me on to like some old school radio guys like Stan Freeberg and those guys who were doing like, you know, the, the history of the United States of America, according to Stan and all this stuff, like these, you know, two hour long comedy albums. And it was all this theater of the mind stuff. And I, and I just love that. And the, the ability to just completely like paint a whole picture and tell a whole story just through dialogue was really fun. And, and that was always my favorite thing to do. Yeah, that is cool. Theater of the, theater of the mind. That's, that's an expression I haven't heard in a long time, but it, I mean, it's so right. great. And it, and, and kind of, you know, it's sort of like, if you can do that on radio with just words, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's such a great training ground really for anything else that you do. Right. Cause if you can communicate just with theater of the mind, I mean, just imagine what you can do when you start adding visuals and all that. So anyway, I just kind of wanted to touch on that because I thought that was that was pretty cool. Theater of the mind thing, it's just easy to be anywhere because you can start off like, I'm standing here on the Eiffel Tower, and then you're on the Eiffel Tower. So that's, right, that's and you sneak in a little sound effects effect or something, right? And then all of a sudden you're transported. Yeah, I totally missed that. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to work on radio again someday. <laughs> but uh, how would you, so I always start off the, the podcast asking this question, right, which is how do you describe the role of a creative director? That is the hardest question to start with, which I love. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I'm a dad too, and so I always kind of try to equate. I think there's a lot of similarities between being a dad and being a creative director, which is you're trying to teach someone something that you think you know how to do, but you're not sure you know how to do it. And right. you want them to have the best experience doing that thing possible. Um, but, you know, when you're a dad, it's maybe a little bit more, about, less about you and more about uh, just that person, which it should be less about you as a creative director, too. But maybe right. maybe a creative director is a dad who still wants to kind of maybe do the school project a little bit too much, too. <laughs> So, yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's funny that you mentioned that because that happens here all the time. My wife is a teacher, right? So before you know it, she's like getting in there and helping him with his science science fair project or whatever, whatever you know, a little, a little too uh, heavy handedly. But so to continue the analogy uh, of, of, you know, the creative director as dad, you know, tell me about, you know, are there times where you feel, you know, how do you deliver that, that, you know, is there tough love? Is there, you know, is there like a, uh, you know, you have to have these hard conversations with them, right? And obviously they're not really your kids, but uh, in a sense they sort of are, right? They're your team, you're kind of nurturing their, their development. So, you know, just continuing that analogy, how do you do that? How do you, you know, pull them aside when they need to be coached or, you know, um, maybe even sort of, uh, you know, kind of have a little come to Jesus with them or whatever. How do you, how do you do that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's to, to extend the dad thing, I think it's important to remember that even if there is a tough love situation or like I got to pull you aside and tell you something, it's all about that person's growth and helping that person. So it's never like I'm never going to pull someone aside and be like, you failed. And, you know, this is a right. big kind of like put down and, and lesson. It's more about, you know, let's talk about what's not working. Let's find a way through it. But the, the feedback has to be constructive and the and you have right. to have their best interests in mind. And you have to also know where you're trying to get them to. So if there's something they're, they're not doing or something they're doing that they shouldn't be doing, it's, it's really important to me at least to know where they need to get to and help them get to that point as opposed to just saying like, this sucked, I don't want you to do this or do right. it my way, which is something I, I also really don't like doing. Right. And, you know, and that that obviously that clearly doesn't work with your with your own kids. It's certainly not going to work right with with other people that you're working with. No. So, yeah, I like that. I like I like that definition. I, I think it's uh, I think I think it's it's on point. What you know, what misconceptions do you think that that people have about the role of being a creative director? This is something that I've been thinking about a little bit. Like, what are some of the misconceptions that, that you've come across? Uh, I think. A lot of people, if, if you're not in advertising, I think it's hard to even understand what we do at all. I think they're like, oh, you right. know, did you, why is your name? My grandmother, she'll ask me why my name isn't on commercials that we make. And I'm like, well, there's no credits to these. So, right. uh, but she also still signs her texts. So that's good. Um, but <laughs> I, I think, um, I don't know. I, I would guess I think a, there's, there's maybe a misconception with some younger creatives that creative directors have more free time. And are doing like are just waiting around to destroy their ideas, uh, which is not true at all. I think the majority of my job is is working behind the scenes to to help their ideas and right. uh, sitting in so so many meetings. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that because I remember uh, when I used to work at Jack Morton, we had gotten a new creative director, and and um, and I actually he was my first guest on on the podcast, a guy named Julian Leboth. And, you know, he was this French guy and he came in out of nowhere. Right. And I was kind of like, well, who is this guy? And for a long <laughs> time, I was wondering, like, what is this, you know, what is this guy doing? Like, I don't see him very much. Like, what's happening here? And then I finally somehow, you know, it got revealed to me all the things that he was juggling. Right. And he was doing all these things and he was getting pulled into this pitch and that pitch. And he was, you know, working on that. And I just never saw that. Right. Because I was just, you know, I was coming up as, a, as an ACD. And when I found right. that out, I went I went in there and said, like, hey, man, I got to tell you something like this is the way that I thought it was. I, I didn't know what you were doing. I'm like, what is he doing and now? I now I know. And I'm sorry that I even thought that. And he just kind of <laughs> laughed and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm like, there's there's a lot that goes, you know, into this job that people don't see. Um, what else? Are there any other things that you've kind of come across? Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's any other that really come to mind other than I think maybe people it's kind of back to that, like creative directors, at least the ones that I like to work with, don't push their own agenda. And it's it's not about, you know, I'm, I'm not selling my own work. I am really right. trying to be focused on selling the right work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing, too. That's hard. Right. Because you kind of um and so do you do you ever find yourself kind of again as i think about it returning to the dad analogy sometimes i find myself sort of protecting the team from certain bits of information or things that i don't want them to think about because it's yeah. going to derail their thinking or it's going to um but do you think that you know do you think that they sometimes feel like um you know like you are pushing your own agenda or you're you know just killing ideas because you know, they're not, they're not yours. I mean, do you think that they understand that you're, you kind of have a bigger, big, you see the bigger picture and are just trying to help guide them, which is again, part of the job, right? You're just trying to help, help guide them and shape their ideas to kind of get to where you know that they need to be. I mean, I would hope so. Um, I think I like to think I'm a pretty collaborative guy who, who does not shoot down ideas for no reason. And I, you know, we're a small agency at 215. Um, you know, our creative department's only like, I think, 12 people right now. So it's it's pretty nice to, to work uh, really closely with the teams. And they usually know what's going forward and why. And if something's not going forward, it's definitely not for lack of us all trying and kind of coming to that consensus together versus 
you know, we are definitely not the type of place and I'm, I'm not the type of guy who's like, I'm going to kill something last minute and not tell you, you know, that I did it or why I did it. So what, uh, and this may be related, but you know, what's something that you don't like about the role? Like what, what do you dislike about, you know, being a creative director? Uh, I don't like when I have to deliver news that I would hate to hear as a younger creative or when, when I'm unable to push the thing the team wants through or, you know, just, you know, feeling like you don't want to, you want to not let the team down. And that, that sometimes hits me more personally than maybe I admit. And I carry that around a little bit. Um, but other than that, it's just the amount of meetings we sit in is insane and all the (laughs) allocation meetings and, you know, managerial meetings and team meetings behind the creative team meetings and whatnot is just, you know, I, I feel like a lot, especially with the pandemic, a lot of times it's like my day is full of red. And then at the end of the day, I have time to work. No. Yeah. Yeah. The, the meetings are too much. Now, t- I've never heard this phrase. An allocation meeting is what? When you're just planning on like planning who's going to do the work or what? what is an allocation meeting? Because I don't think I've heard that phrase. Yeah. Like who's going to work on what and like the casting of everything and, you know, who's who's okay. too busy and who's not and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you on the meeting things. Like sometimes it's just, you know, it's sometimes I, I, I feel like it's just meetings for meeting's sake. Right. Because I think it makes other people yeah. feel like they're getting stuff done. But it's like, you know, I, I wish that there were uh, fewer meetings. Do you think that that's going to change? I mean, uh, now that, you know, maybe if we start going back more, um, you know, into the office, I don't know if you guys are starting to go back. We're starting to go back. But you know, is there a way, a way that we can cut down on those meetings? I mean, I think it will because what's what happened with work from home is every hallway conversation became a scheduled meeting. And it was like instead right. of just pulling someone aside and, and having a five-minute talk, it's now, okay, we'll talk at 1145 and we've scheduled this for, you know, 30 minutes and we'll talk about it for 30 minutes for no reason. Um, but it works. I mean, the, the work from home thing doesn't really bother me that much. But I, I do think that that's one positive of being back in the office is, you know, those quick – flybys or just, you know, grabbing someone to chat or whatnot is, is much more efficient than uh, yeah. having your Teams or your Zoom meeting every five minutes. So tell me a little bit about your creative process. How would you describe it? Or, you know, if, if, if one of your team, one of your team members was describing what your process is like, what would they say? I like to get pretty geeky about stuff like I um, right now working in gaming and even before that, I really like to go deep on whatever the thing we're working on is. Like, you know, for, for video games, for example, if we're working on a sci-fi game, uh, I like to have the team watch. Uh, I'll make usually a watch list and a listen list and a read list. Like, here are the here are the movies I think we should watch before the briefing. Here are the comic books or whatnot I think you should read because I'm not going to read a novel. And here's, you know, a podcast or a you know, radio play or whatever that I think we should listen to. And then that way, what I like about that is everyone's kind of immersed in the same world and on the same page as we enter. Like we're all pulling inspiration from at least a common point. Um, people can bring their own stuff in as well, but it's nice to all start from the same place. And it also helps you kind of not just do tropey, same old, same old stuff. If you If you kind of immerse yourself in, what has been happening in this certain genre or world or whatnot, then it's easier in my mind to push that further than it is to start from scratch and be like, well, I'm going to tell a story that, uh, you know, 11 movies have already told. Um, you know, right. if you already know that stuff, you're starting from a better place. So let's spend a little bit of time here. So most of the work that you're doing is on Xbox and it's on specific game titles. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, game so, titles and then the the brand work. Okay, so um, when you're when you're working on these uh, on these brand titles, right? The other aspect is that you have to be. I mean, the gamers are super. They'll call bullshit, right? If something doesn't feel totally authentic. So I I can imagine how you know that would be sort of nerve wracking, right? Is like making sure that you have it right. So are you yourself just a huge gamer and is the whole team, uh, you know, are, are the, you know, your team members all gamers or how does that work? Because, you know, re- you really have to, I would imagine, really get immersed in that world and be sure that you're telling the story just right. Otherwise, you're going to get called out on it. 
Well, you you do. I mean, we're not. I don't care if if people are gamers or not. But what we what I like to say is like I like people who are geeky about something because as yeah. long as you're able to like fully invest in it is sometimes a hurdle for people to go over. Like I have to take this seven foot tall mechanized super soldier seriously or whatever it is. Uh, but if you're able to kind of dive into it and believe it and and love it, then that's all I really care about. So we look for people who are, you know, usually being a genre fan is good. Like if you're nerdy and dorky about something, you're going to get along with gaming. I'm actually, I'm kind of a gamer. I'm more of a lapsed gamer. I'm what uh, gaming companies call a midnight dad to go back to the dad okay. analogy. And a midnight yeah. dad is literally like a, a, you know, consumer marketing kind of segment that I have found speaks to me really well, which is, you know, I'm a dad. I usually probably play like one or two games a year. Uh, I play them at midnight when everyone else is asleep. And this is the most important part is I feel guilty about playing because I know I could be doing something else. Well, really? That's a, that's an interesting insight. That's crazy. So, you know, in this role, right, do you, are you the, are you the, you know, like in um, Star Wars or any other franchise, right? There's the canon, right? There's like somebody that knows everything about yeah. this, the franchise and about the storyline, um, just because it's super fascinating, right? Working on this account. Um, who is that person? Are you, are, are you sort of that person because you're running, you know, this, this team from a, from a, you know, from the creative point of view, are you the, the person that knows everything? <laughs> Not, not really. I mean, I try to know a lot, but what's nice about the way we work is we work directly with the studios that make the games. So, you know, we try to learn everything we can about a game. And there's so, sometimes there's so much history, like with Gears of War or Halo or something, you're, you know, everyone's watching three hour cutscenes of every game as we prepare to get yeah. into this. But the studio uh, are the people that know the game more than anybody. And so what's really nice right. is we get to sit with that studio talk to the head writer and that head writer can tell us everything we need to know. And I usually record it or we take copious notes or whatnot. And then uh, we're able to kind of pop back with them and check in on stuff. But the, the thing that we do mostly too, is we don't like to get, or I don't like to get too like too bogged down in the canon or the lore, the specific lore, because that's only talking to the very core audience and who we're usually talking to is a broader audience or maybe even a new audience. So the stuff we're doing is less focused on deep, deep canon and lore. And it could be informed by that, but it's more about like, how do you elevate all that deep, deep canon to a kind of general theme that makes sense to everyone else? So if it's, if it's Halo, it's really about true heroism and a return to the, you know, more Superman, Christopher Reeve type hero than the Deadpool or, you know, the boys or all these anti-heroes that we have now. And that's the theme that we carry through the campaign. Not so much. Let me tell you everything about Master Chief. And so you've kind of boiled it down to sort of this single minded kind of idea for each of these games, right? Again, is that something that comes from you and your team, or is that something that you that that the client is is sort of giving you, or you work collaboratively, or you know, because you got to kind of figure out, just like you said, right, what's going to appeal to the consumer, which is pretty wide ranging, right? It's those hardcore fans, and then it's you know, there's probably a pretty big chunk that are sort of more casual. So, who's determining kind of like what you just described as that that sweet spot? Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're uh, like to work really collaboratively with our strategists and kind of getting, you know, getting to that behind the brief. And, and then I think we usually we like to have that um, for the creative teams as we go into it. Yeah. So that everybody's kind of working off this off the same uh, playbook. So in type in terms of the, the output that you're putting out for um you know, for, for these games, what are we talking about here? Are we talking, you know, mostly digital social stuff? What, what is it? Is it, is it the gamut of, of creative output? Yeah, it's, it's a gamut. I mean, for the bigger campaigns, it's usually, you know, there's, there's for the titles, there's usually like a central broadcast E type commercial. Uh, it may or may not run on TV, but you know, we, we have usually like a central film and then, but really what it's about is 
the central idea, and then we can blow that out to whatever it needs to be. So I'll keep going back to Halo because it's just a recent thing we did. But for that, we had we had a broadcast spot. Uh, but before that, we had three five-minute short films that were like little sci-fi films that we put out that told different stories. Uh, and we had a um, kind of a big social digital user-generated type campaign that uh, let people put themselves in Master Chief's suit and make their own custom version of our commercial. So we try to blow it out to everything. And what's really fun and nice is we're working with other entities and other agencies kind of around the world to to bring their part of it to life. So, you know, we're, we're not necessarily doing absolutely everything ourselves, but everything that we're doing is informed by our central idea, which is really nice to act as that consultant. Oh, that's great. So in other words, you guys are, are kind of setting that, you know, setting that storyline and everybody sort of works to that, right? So you're kind of, you guys control the narrative, so to speak. Yeah, or at least the, the central, like, thematic campaign idea. And yeah. some, sometimes it doesn't work like that. Sometimes it's different, but it, it works best when it's like that, usually. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of these games, right, how, how fast do you have to work here? Is this something that... You know, just like now with everything, right? Uh -huh. And just in, in our culture, everything is so on demand. Is this the type of account where you're having to move at, you know, the, the, the speed of social media, right? Somebody posts something about the game. Do you do that kind of like war room type thing where you're responding to things very quickly? Or is this more sort of a, a you know, a planned out, you know, three, four months in advance? I think it's both. It, it depends. I think for for the for the game titles themselves. So the Xbox is two different pieces of business. It's it's the titles and then the the brand. For the title side of it, it's less that and it's more planned out. And I'll talk about more of that in a second. For the brand side, especially lately, it's becoming much more you know the quote unquote speed of culture or whatever the buzzy word you know thing is to say. Right, but right, um, you know, yeah. But like like trying trying to do more stuff that that pops and, and that, you know, more stuff that is reactive and quicker and faster. And all, all that is definitely something that, that we're feeling a lot lately too, which is funny because it's all the stuff that when I was starting out and I kind of went to the digital, like interactive side pretty early, that was what I was doing then. And then, you know, came, it comes back around now where I've got this big global account, but that's what now they want to do like, you know, five years later. <laughs> Yeah, and, and tell us a little bit about that because uh, I, I set this up in the intro. You're, I, I think, what you're referring to is your work that you, with Taco Bell, right? You were kind of you helped them sort of um, go digital or get on, sort of take Taco Bell to to Twitter. I think is what how you described it, maybe. So is that who who you're talking about of kind of using those same kind of ideas and techniques and 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 ramping these guys up in the same way? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I I did two kind of tours of duty on Taco Bell. The first one was even before Twitter and all that. It was more like when everything was big flash microsites and 40K yeah. banners and whatnot. Um, but then, yeah, but then when kind of, you know, er, er, not early on, but like when brands were finding their their footing in social media, Taco Bell was really that brand that talked like the internet and that, you know, didn't sound as much like a brand. And now everyone does it from the, you know, Wendy's and Steakums and whoever, but they all owe it a bit at least to Taco Bell and probably Arby's. Uh, but that was fun. Like, th that time was like, yeah, get up, you know, always an 8 a.m. meeting that was a war room meeting. And we'd go over what was happening in the world that day. It was more like a, like a newsroom or a writer's room at a TV show. And then you would go off for a couple hours and put pitches together and come back like at noon with some pitches about like, hey, what if we did this? Or what if we made this vine when those used to exist? Or yeah, you know, what, if we, what if we did this type of thing? <laughs> wow, that's cool. That, that must have been a pretty uh, exciting time. And, and so that kind of leads me to this next question about you talked about putting, uh, you know, putting the ideas together and then pitching them. In terms of pitching ideas, uh, you know, to, yeah. to your client. Um, what's your, you know, what's your approach there? There's something that I haven't really focused too much on the podcast and I want to get, you know, some people's take on it. How do you, how do you pitch ideas or what have you found that, you know, uh, 
a way to pitch that you found to be more successful or just talk to me a little bit about that side. Sure. No, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's, I think it's really important to start with an insight that everyone can agree on and kind of, it's kind of like, this is a dumb analogy again, but if you're having an argument with someone and you're disagreeing and disagreeing, the joke is, well, can we agree that the Eiffel Tower is in Paris? Yes. Great. So we're in agreement. Now we'll go forward from here. Yeah. So if if you just start with, hey, I've got this idea. Here's this idea. They could like it. They could not. It, but if that idea is informed from an insight that is, you know, agreed on and, and feels true, then we can walk them kind of a little bit of step by step from how do we take this insight and get to this idea with it? And why is this idea the perfect idea uh, to bring this insight to life? So that, that's one. And I think also the other trick we like to do is uh, imagining what PR headlines would be. And I like to show those yeah. before the idea. So it's like, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get, you know, Vulture saying this thing about you. And how you're going to get that is we're going to blow up the moon or whatever stupid idea that we've come up with. That's great. I love that. And in terms of, um, you know, when you're when you're when you're selling through, let's say it's a it's a, you know, a, a commercial uh, concept or it's, a, um, you know, out of home or whatever. Something that I find that that uh, sometimes we get um, we have to do right is give a lot of detail. And to me, that's a huge kind of like buzzkill right when you're trying to sell yeah. this big beautiful idea and then you get into do you do you have to deal with that or how do you approach that are you because typically it's the you know in in my case sometimes it's the account folks like well we got to tell them exactly how it's going to work and that we're going to do this and that and to me that sort of just muddies up the idea um do you do you run into that and if so how do you how do you combat that no, absolutely. I think I think it's it's sometimes the account folks who want that, and I feel, I find more so it's the creatives that can't get it out of their heads enough to to see the the bigger picture, and they're like, "Well, I figured out and spent time on exactly how this works, and the the people that are going to make it. I'm going to talk about each transition and how those transitions take us to the next scene, and that is just turn the client's brain off, right? So, we yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I like to keep it more. You know, if we're going to present a script like to do a uh, a log line before that's just like here's here's the idea we're going to show you in two sentences and then right. we can take you through the script but first you let them know that this is an idea with kevin bacon where he's you know coming back to footloose or whatever dumb idea it is <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like spitting out all these ideas and somebody's probably listening to like right um, kevin oh bacon. sure <laughs> yeah kevin bacon no advertising has never used kevin bacon before <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, you know, but somebody told me, uh, one of the uh, guests that I had on the show, this guy named Ed Miller said, if you can explain it to me, if you can say it in a few words or a few sentences, you have a concept. If you have to show it to me, yeah. then that's a tactic, right? Or that's like an execution, right? Because then it's like getting super detailed. How do you, you know, how do you convince someone, let's say it's someone on your team who thinks that the details are really cool. Like, how do you, how do you convince them that, Hey, let's keep it simple. You know, tell the, tell the story because that's really at the end of the day, that's what they're buying, right? They're, they're buying the, the story, the idea. How do you do that? I guess this is part of the tough love. Maybe. It is. I would say, and this is, you know, something that I, if I ever try to talk to my wife about anything we're doing, her, her attention span tolerance is exactly two sentences. So I would say, go, yeah. go explain the idea to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your dog or your wife and see how long they listen. What is it? What is the expression? Like you need to make it so that like an eighth grader can understand it. Or it's either eighth grader or eight year old. I can't remember something like that. It's just gotta be right. super simple. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's take a little break and we'll be back with more with Brad Myers. All right, and we're back with Brad. So uh, we touched on this a, a few minutes ago, right? But the world has changed. Everything is moving so fast. What do you think the future of our of our business looks like? What are what are we looking at here? I was talking to somebody recently 
about this, and I don't know if you follow it, but this whole thing with, um, oh my gosh, now now his name is escaping me, uh, Ryan Reynolds. You know, he's, yeah. he's launched this this ad agency and he's making all these kind of, which I still don't understand, all these sort of vague promises about being able to create, do creative faster and cheaper. And But is that what it's going to be about? It's just faster, cheaper, you know, what do you think? What's going to happen here? I mean, I, I hope not all the time. I think there's definitely room for that and that can be super fun. I mean, I'm sure everyone says this, but also the, the thing with Ryan Reynolds is it's it works for him because he's Ryan Reynolds, but try yeah, exactly. doing that at an agency where, you know, just some normal guy is the chief creative officer. You're not probably going to get yeah. Christopher Lloyd answering your call so quickly. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I, we are definitely being pushed, you know, to do faster, cheaper, quicker, scrappier, you know, all the time. But I think there's, um, and, and that's great, but I think there's also room for, you know, you still see the big seven minute Apple film with the, you know, the, uh, the underdogs escaping their work and starting their own business. And it's beautifully crafted and awesome and meticulously written and all that kind of stuff. So I, and I would say too, like, the internet doesn't just respond to the shorter, faster TikToky stuff. They like that sometimes, um, but as long as it's engaging and as long as it's a good story and it's something worth watching, it can get watched. You know, when back when I was on PlayStation and we did some stuff for God of War, we did a whole year of content, and some of that content was twenty seconds and some of it was long form. The most. Uh, the highest engagement piece we did was 10 and a half minutes long. And it was a, uh, it was a, st we had built a booth for a convention where uh, the, you walk through and it's kind of a museum and you would look at different pieces of art that we had an artist make uh, of these chapters of a story. And then a voiceover as you walked up to each piece would tell you that chapter of the story. And so we filmed that kind of the walkthrough experience and just because it was a good story, because the writers I was working with made it great, people sat and listened to the whole thing on YouTube. And it wasn't even really that visual, and it was very long, uh, but that was our highest performing thing. So to me, okay. I go back to a guy like, do you know who Howard Gossage is? No. Uh -uh. Okay. Ha Howard Gossage was an ad guy in like the 60s and 70s in San Francisco, and he was this okay. kind of you know, counterculture-y ad guy. He's famous for saying a couple of things. And the thing that I love that he said was, uh, people don't read advertising. People read what interests them. And sometimes it's an ad. So I think that message is still true today. It's like, you know, you might hear from Facebook or Twitter or whatnot, like, well, best practices say that you have to hook people in the first five seconds. And that's fine if your content is boring. But if your content is good, right people are gonna to wanna to listen to it. So th that's my whole thing right. is if it's a good story, if it's a nice piece of content, if it's a nice film, whatever, then you're gonna get that engagement that maybe people are thinking it doesn't exist anymore, but it does. So um, tell me, cause I think this is related to, to sort of what I'm hearing that you really love this kind of idea of storytelling. What would you do if you, uh, if you weren't a creative director, what would you be doing? Or you know, what do you love to do outside of your day job? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I would, I think the only thing I really know how to do is write. So I, I don't know if I'd be good at anything else. Um, but I do also love to cook and I like to cook with my kids. So we always joke or we always kind of dream that we want to start a family food truck, which I think would be super fun. Uh, like if you've seen that movie chef with John Favreau, like he's yeah. cooking with his son, the, the Cubano right. sandwiches at the end. I would just, I would love that. <laughs> What about uh, I read somewhere that you also did some stand up comedy. So what about what about that? Is that something that you would get back to if you if you could? Yeah, if I could. I mean, I think I, I, I've been out of the stand up game for a while, but it is definitely um, a similar a similar kind of feeling. And what's what's nice about it, too, is it's it is where advertising sometimes is delayed gratification or it's like you you truck on a campaign for so long and then a year later it's finally out like stand-up is immediate gratification where it's like you get on stage and either you're gonna you're gonna get a laugh or you're not and then you can get up later that day even and try it again which is nice but you know stand-up is definitely a second full-time job that i cannot do anymore <laughs> so. like how serious were you when you were doing it i mean was was this something that you were really seriously pursuing 
Uh, I was, I mean, I was, I was in my twenties and I was pretty serious about it, but I, I always, I was in advertising then too. And I, I never thought that a, I was good enough or had the drive to like be a full-time standup comic, but it definitely like became my life for a while where I was, you know, in comedy clubs every night and you're waiting until midnight to do three minutes for two drunk guys that don't care about what you're saying. Uh, but it's just about that muscle memory of getting up and doing it. And then it becomes a thing where it's like, you can't not do it. It's like working out. Like if you don't do it, you feel gross and you feel like weak. Yeah. And then when you get back up and do it, you're like, oh, right. Okay. Now I feel normal again. So I imagine that, that, that experience uh, comes in handy, right? When you, when you're, when you're pitching, because I imagine um, that you can kind of read the room for one and you can riff on things and you can kind of like, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a term for it, but when you kind of like somebody said something earlier and you pick that thing up and you kind of work it into the, into the pitch or whatever has, have you found that, do you get that same kind of buzz from pitching as you yeah. did maybe from the stand-up comedy? Oh, totally. I think pitching is probably one of my favorite parts because of that. It's like, I, I love the show and I love talking. So that's great. Um, but th that's true too. What you were saying about, you know, picking out something that someone said, like, you know, you can, you can bring it back around to a callback or like the thing I tell creatives too, if they want to try stand up, what's nice about it, if they're nervous about talking to clients or what's the CMO going to say, none of that really matters. If you've, like I said, stood in front of a crappy crowd at midnight who's throwing things at you like there's there's no worse crowd than a bad stand-up comedy crowd and clients at the very you know worst are going to be bored or dismissive they're not going to be yelling you suck uh while you're trying to <laughs> pitch your pitch <laughs> well i guess there's a there's a first for everything i guess that could happen but that, that'd be pretty crazy right or just throw Boo, a bottle get at off you the I'm, stage. I'm, yeah yeah I'm a musician and I remember getting bottles thrown, thrown at me playing. I remember one time we played at this like country, we were not a country band and we played at this country place and they were not, they were not having it. They threw a couple bottles, but yeah, that's pretty funny. But yeah, that's, so that's I like sort the, of get a similar good old boys, the blues brothers. Yeah, exactly. You'd like have the, 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 the chicken wire in front of you, you know, so that you don't get hit. Uh, but that, you know, I kind of get a similar buzz too. That's kind of my way of, of performing because I don't perform as much anymore, but it's kind of, I do love yeah. the, the pitch and, you know, you definitely get a good, a good feeling from that. Um, all right. So we've come to that time in the, in the show where it's time to pay off the title of the show, Confessions of a Creative Director. So I'm giving you an opportunity, a golden opportunity to get something off your, off your chest. Uh, a, oh boy. Uh, a creative director crime, or maybe it's just, you know, tell me, tell me. This is like, it's like therapy. I thought you said, I thought, I thought you said a creative director crying, which might be my confession. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the imposter syndrome stuff, of course, I, I, I'm sure you get that a lot from people, but that's, that's true. Uh, you know, I think younger creatives sometimes ask like, well, when does that go away? And the answer is never. Uh, but it's, I also find it motivating. Like, I think if you, it's probably a good gauge that you're not an asshole. If you have imposter syndrome, if you think you're great, then you're probably doing something wrong. Um, but the other, the other one I would say is that I really love it. And I think there is a, a trend, especially like on LinkedIn or if you're on fishbowl ever, there's a lot of people being like, Oh, I, you know, I just do this because it's a job, but I don't care about this. And I'm kind of embarrassed to be in advertising. And we're just, we're selling something. And yeah, we are, we're selling stuff, but we're also getting to do really neat things with cool people sometimes. And, and I just wouldn't do anything else. And I don't think that I could do anything else. But um, yeah, I just love it. I still get giddy about, you know, doing the pitch. I, I love going to shoots. Um, I also steal things off uh, the set of shoots all the time. That's my other. <laughs> well, tell, tell me about tell me about the stealing thing. What like what types of things? I'll show you. Well, so I don't oh, like you know. Okay. Well, I know this is a podcast and you can't see, but I'll show you. But um, <laughs> yeah. the uh, people like you know, I guess some people like to put their awards out or trophies or whatnot. I don't care yeah. as much about that as I 
really like to steal little serial killer trophies off of shoots uh, and look back on them because to me, every one of those is a story I can tell uh, versus you right. know, a, a, an ad award no one no one even cares about. Um, but right. like over here Let's in my see. little office, I've got I've got little tidbits and knickknacks and things like you know a Taco Bell breakfast phone or a piece of synthetic skin from a thing we were doing on Gears of War with a tattoo billboard and you know <laughs> weird things like that. So I I love to collect little little totems and trophies because I think I mean that's what Batman does and Batman's cool. So maybe <laughs> it could be more like Batman. <laughs> And is it really, is it really, this is, this is awesome. I love this. Is it really like a do, 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 like you kind of walking by the prop department and you just, you, you know, yoink yeah. it or do you, you, you really. <laughs> no, so I, I, I don't, I don't like to be given things. Yeah. I, I don't like it if someone like really told hilarious. me I could have it. I just, it, 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 it yeah. there's always a do, 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 do. I'm just going to snip this in. <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. I think you should, you know, kind of uh, create a little. Or do you keep them in your home office, or you keep them in your office at at the uh, at work? Well, I have a home office now for the first time ever, which is great. Um, so I, I've, I've yeah. always had them kind of in storage, and I'll be, I was always like, yeah. when I have a home office, that's what I'll put around. And so now I finally have that, which is fun, and it's much dorkier I than thinking... I thought it would be, but it's it's good. <laughs> I was thinking that maybe you had it set up at, at the office and you could kind of like display it, you know, and like walk people through it as, you know, sort of a, maybe a, a, yeah, a, sort of a timeline. Probably it's, it's, it's cool because it's almost like a time capsule or, you know, sort of a, a, a timeline of your whole career uh, spanning all kinds of stuff. Before we go, I, I want you to tell me, because um, I did read this and I wanted to know more about it because I'm a huge uh, Simpsons fan. And uh, yeah. when you were working at, I think for Seven Eleven, you got to do the the Quickie Mart. So tell tell. Oh, he's pulling out a prop, folks. He's pulling out a prop. Here's my sign from the first oh bank of Springfield, mis misplacing decimal points since nineteen four point five. So there you go. Oh my god, um, that's but, awesome. But yeah, that was great. <laughs> I was uh, I was um, I was a copywriter uh, on the on Seven Eleven at the time and. It was like, I guess, 2006 or 2007. And that was the announcement that, you know, the Simpsons movie is coming and they want to do a partnership with 7-Eleven. And what's funny is it seems like the most obvious idea in the world. And it was. And there's, you know, there's there's probably stories about other agencies uh, later on when it started winning awards. Be like, well, that we had that idea, too, or whatnot in a Coinbase kind of way. But um what was what was hard about it was selling it through and doing it right because we had the idea very quickly. We want to turn a bunch of 7-Elevens into quickie marts overnight. And this was also before uh, there was a lot of like Museum of Me and in the in the Candy Museum and all these things or like the Friends experience where like I think now we're more used to fictional things yeah. being real. But the, the Simpsons 7-Eleven Quickie Mart was maybe one of the first times when like you could go someplace and buy Buzz Cola or, um, you know, Duff Beer Duff. or a Sprinklicious Donut oh or whatever. Yeah. We wanted to do Laramie cigarettes, but they wouldn't let us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it took a while to sell through and then, um, you know, was really fun getting to actually work with the Simpsons creators and, and writers and everybody to like do the right stuff. And, and make it like, you know, and, and pour through the episodes and be like, well, I want to do this deep cut thing. I want to do Frostilicus from, you know, the episode where that old man uh, Jasper freezes himself in the in the Quickie Mart uh, freezer cupboard and yeah. you know, things like that. That was super fun. Oh my gosh, that is so cool! Does there, I I I remember reading about it, but I don't think I is there a video that exists like a kind of like a walkthrough of it. There's got to be, right? I mean, there's, I have a, yeah, there's got to be. If you go, if you just search it, you know, there's a lot of, you know, back, I think, when people were using like Flickr, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, yeah. Flickr photos of it. But, you know, and it's, there's a nice walkthrough in our case study, but, you know, you can find stuff that's out there. But it was, it was kind of all over the place for, for a little while, at least, when that movie was coming out. It was, that was the stuff yeah. that was like getting on Letterman and stuff. That is so cool. Yeah, I just had to ask you about that because I'm I'm a huge Simpsons fan. I'm like, how cool, you know, that must have been to bring that to life. 
It was Very it was cool. super cool. And there's a lot of stuff that we didn't get to do that we wanted to do also that was <laughs> still fun to write. And like, you know, we had for a while we had um, stand ups of all the characters that were going to say stuff as you walk past. So I got to write all yeah. their dialogue and run it past like Matt Groening, which was incredible. Yeah, um, that didn't happen. Wow. But the fact that I got to write that was still amazing. <laughs> Wow, that's cool. Do you remember like what what kind of feedback you got from it from pitching some of the stuff you wrote? I mean, some of it was like, yeah, that's good. And, and the hardest one was Mr. Burns because I tried to write a bunch of Mr. Burns lines, and he was like, ah, you're not. It's not quite who he is, you know. It's like he's he's he wouldn't use that old celebrity. He would use Rudy Valley, and I'm like, okay, I don't know how would I ever know that. <laughs> that is that is amazing. Well, uh, thanks for sharing all these stories with us and, and uh, you know, kind of sharing uh, the way that you see the the role of a creative director. I think it's going to be helpful to a, a lot of people. By the way, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm writing a book and I'm putting, you know, a lot of these nuggets in there. So uh, oh, awesome. hopefully you'll you'll uh, sign off on, on letting me use some of these uh, great nuggets. But thanks for making the time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to keeping in touch and following your career and just seeing all what kinds of fun things you get into. And uh, yeah, let's keep in touch, man. All right, thanks a lot. It was really fun. All right, excellent. Talk to you soon, Brad. Take care. You too. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the Books. Thanks to my special guest, Brad Myers, creative director for 215 McCann. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I feel like I was just scratching at the surface of his uh, comedic abilities. I, I feel like uh, he'd be a lot of fun to just have a couple of beers with and just uh, you know shoot the breeze. I think he'd probably have me on the floor uh, rolling around laughing. So we'll have to do that sometime, Brad, when I'm up in the uh, Bay Area. Uh, I also love the whole analogy of creative director as dad because, um, you know, it, you, you kind of sort of are, right? You're kind of uh, mentoring these these younger folks coming up. So I really like that. And you could tell that he's just a great dad in general uh, to his real family, right? When he talked about starting a food truck with his kids, I thought that was really cute. And I got to say hi to one of them as we were setting up for uh, the call. So that was really cool. So please uh, leave a review of the show. Tell all your friends. Subscribe to it. Uh, let everybody that you know who's in our creative business or people that just are interested in, in how creatives think, uh, tell them about the show. Have them sign up. We really are trying to uh, build the audience this year, and we could surely use your help. All right. Well, that's going to do it for now. Until next time, peace and creativity.